Well, here we are in the Players' Lounge at Queen's Club in London with a former champion of this event, now coach of Francis TFO. He is a man that Roger Federer looked up to. Wayne Ferreira, welcome to the ATP podcast. Yeah, Richard, nice to have you. Nice to see you again. It's very good to see you. And uh, full disclosure, we have worked together as part of the Wimbledon radio team back in the day. Um, so it is great to see you once again and see you looking as well as ever. Um, the 1992 champion here at Queen's, does it feel like 30, 30 years ago? Gee, it's a long time, you know, we actually were laughing about it when we came in here. I didn't realize it was 30 years. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I may have good memories. I mean, I, you know, I enjoyed my career and I had a lot of good good memories. This, this was actually my first uh, tournament win, I believe. So it was, uh, you know, something and I was 20 years old, so I was pretty young and just starting and making my way through the rankings and to win a you know a tournament like Queens is your first one it's it's probably bigger than you would probably hope for in the sense of how big this tournament is and how popular and difficult it is to win but uh, you know what I would, I'm taking it I'm keeping it it's a cherished part of the memory banks clearly um how big was Queens for you growing up in South Africa was it one of those events that you saw on the TV well, for the you know the people today that didn't realize that the you know TV wasn't around much back in those days. You know, in South Africa we had one TV channel, and we literally only had Wimbledon uh, as tennis through the year. So we all you know sat in front and were glued to the TV pretty much the whole time. Uh, Queens wasn't on the TV, um, but Wimbledon was. You know, we basically only eat you know ate, slept, dreamt, thought about Wimbledon. So you know it meant a lot for me to be here. So it was grass court tennis that you saw growing up. Who were the guys that you, you saw on, on that television screen and looked up to? Well, obviously, you know, the Borg-McEnroe uh, rivalry that they had. Um, you know, Kevin Curran, actually, the South African, made the final here two years in, in a row. Um, you know, I mean, Boris Becker, start of his career. But that was also a little bit towards when I started. But as a, as a, as a teenager, it was, it was the Borg-McEnroe. So which of the two did you model yourself on more? Oh, I was a Borg, a Borg guy. I mean, I loved Bjorn. I uh, loved the way he played. I loved everything about him. He was my idol. And in terms of style of play for, for, for people, I mean, this is 30 years ago, unfortunately. Um, so tell us, you know, what kind of a player were you? What was, what was the, the thing that made you such a fine player? Well, I was a little versatile in some ways because the grass back in those days was very different than it is today. And basically, if you didn't serve in volley, you pretty much lost. Um, it was simple, um, so you know I had to serve and volley. Um, I did normally on on most surfaces serve and volley on my first serve. I would generally stay back on my second serve. But I think uh, the one thing that was you know good and part of my game was I returned really well. Um, so I did well on the grass, obviously because I was able to return well. And then my first serve was deceptively good. You know I didn't have a very powerful and very hard serve, but I placed it very well. Um, I slid the ball around, you know, with the way the grass is, you know, the ball moves a lot through the air and slides a lot. So I had a kind of like what you call a, you know, uh, a little slider and, and I made a lot of first serves. So, you know, I played I played a typical game of grass back then, just serving and volleying. But, uh, you know, I think the return was the key to, to making me win a lot of matches. And athletically, you were right up there, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I moved well, you know, I moved well on the grass, I moved well on the court in general um, and used that a lot to my ability. I wouldn't say that I was designed like a pure grass court player, like maybe Becker, Edberg, those kinds of guys, but I worked my way around getting the most out of my game on the grass. 
Um, you know, it was a surface that I won at Queens and made quarters at Wimbledon, but it wasn't my best surface overall in regards to my win-loss rate, you know, ratios and and where I had most of my success. And that would be that would be hard courts, right? I mean, yeah, hard courts, uh, outdoor and indoors. Um, I won a lot of match, a lot of tournaments indoors and outdoor. Hard was pretty much my surface. Clay was my worst by far, um, and then probably grass. And then my hard court was my best. Going to 1992 then, you hadn't won a, a title on the ATP Tour, but you did come, I presume, with, with a lot of confidence. You'd been to the semi-finals of the Australian Open that year, where you'd beaten John McEnroe, one of the guys that you'd watched growing up. That must have been tremendously special. Yeah, 92 was really my first full year. Um, you know, I went to the uh, Air Force when I was 16 to 18 and a half. Um, spent my time there, played played as much as I could there. So, like, when I turned 19, so that would be pretty much uh, 1990. 90, 90 and 91 was, it was when I started out on the tour. So, 92 was still young. I mean, I was only 20 years old. I just started out on the tour and started to enjoy myself. Made semifinals with the Australian Open in, in that January um, so yeah, things were going well for me at that time. I need to go back to the Air Force. Hang on, this was military service, was it? A couple of years? What 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 did that entail? Well, it was compulsory military service. Um, I decided to go in early. I gave up high school in uh, what I don't know what you call grade ten. Um, uh, my last two years of high school, I decided to go to the Air Force to get it done because it was mandatory, so that I could get back out on the tour as, as quick as I can. So I spent my my last two years of juniors in the military and then came out once I was 18. What did that do for you? Well, it matured me and made me grow up a lot. Um, I learned a lot. I, it was valuable, I think. Uh, at the time, it was obviously a waste of time and, and I didn't really think much of it. But I mean, looking back at it now, I think uh, uh, it made me create a lot of discipline, a lot of um, hard work, with, you know, basic training and just sort of routines and rhythm of getting up early every day and marching and doing all of that. So I think it was pretty beneficial from a growth standpoint. Sure. Um, so back to Queens then in 1992, and you're starting to build up some momentum. You're playing Stoltenberg in the quarterfinals. The scoreline would suggest that you you come past him pretty quickly. I mean, things are obviously going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was a good grass court player, Australian, very, very good. He was actually what you would call a pure grass court. He served and volley and, and chip and charge. And and again, you know, I when I was serving well, um, you know, I did very well because my returns were good. And it really depended on how well I served. And that week in particular, I served exceptionally well, got a lot of high percentage first serves in and ran through my service games and made it very difficult for the guys that I played. You played Brad Gilbert in the semi-finals and were trying to work out whether by that point you knew who was waiting in the final if you won or not because the other semi-final was quite was quite significant. I mean, Brad Gilbert is a phenomenal tennis player um, and whoever knows him will know that he was very, very good but grass was not really his surface. So for me to play him in the semis was actually a pretty good semi-final to play against and on the other half I had Stefan Edberg and Suzo Matsuoka and obviously Edberg, you know, being... The, the grass court player that he was, I kind of looked at that match and said, well, if Edberg wins, I'm pretty much going to lose in the finals, I would assume. But Matsuoka played the match of his life. Uh, he had a, he was a very tall Japanese tennis player. He served exceptionally well and he had a, a blinder. Uh, he played the probably best match of his career and he ended up beating Edberg. And, uh, and luckily for me, we came out in the finals and he was still, he was still thinking about his victory in the semis and didn't really play as well and, and made it pretty easy for me. 
you serious that if Ed Berg had got through, you, I mean, you had it in the back of your mind that you were going to get beaten by him? And doesn't knowing you a little bit, that doesn't strike me as the kind of mindset you would take into a match. Well, I mean, I got beaten pretty badly by him in the semi-finals of the Australian Open in that January, and uh, you know, he was on the top of his game at the time. I wouldn't say that I would have lost. I mean, I would have gone in. I never went into a match not thinking that I could win. Uh, but you know, obviously, Ed Berg won Wimbledon what, three, four times. Um, he was very hard to beat, so you know he was probably the, him and Boris Becker at that time were, were I think trading off in Wimbledon's for five or six years in a row. So I mean, he was the best one out there. So luckily, I mean, you know, would have been nice to have played him. It would have been nice to have beaten him, um, but I, I would have said my odds maybe weren't the highest. <laughs> Going back to then beating Matsuoka in the final, what, what do you remember about the, the, the winning moment, um, the day of the final, the? The celebrations afterwards, perhaps. Well, I just remember that the trophy is enormous. Um, I remember picking up this big, big, big ass trophy, and I was like, "Wow! If this is what every tournament wins going to be like, this is going to be fun." Um, and again, you know, I mean, this tournament is a very elaborate. It's very well known and loved and liked, and it's a it's a strong tournament. It's it has a lot of history. Uh, it's a very, I mean good one to have on your resume to have it as my first one I mean I, I, can, I couldn't say anything but the fact that I was overjoyed it was sponsored by a, a famous beer in those days a Belgian yes. beer that's reassuringly expensive yes. they didn't share any of that with you afterwards did I they I had a few Stella Artois along that along the line but uh, I didn't I think I don't know what I had that night you know but I, I, I definitely had, a, had had an enjoyable time <laughs> but you know the thing is I was very serious I was professional and very serious and Wimbledon was coming up two weeks later it put a little bit of pressure on me because as soon as you win Queens, everyone's always like, oh, you're going to do the double. You know, are you that guy's going to win Queens and Wimbledon, which has happened a lot. And I was 20 years old, made my first win. And, and, you know, from a pressure standpoint, it was quite tough. Yeah. How did you handle that pressure then? It was, I mean, obviously not well. I didn't win Wimbledon. So uh, I don't even remember how I did that year. I think I even lost second round, uh, to be honest. But... Uh, you, know, you started thinking about win winning Wimbledon when you when you'd won a big grass court tournament like this. You, it was in your head, wasn't it? Well, I thought about winning everything. I mean, I got made semi-finals of the Australian Open. Um, I was coming into Wimbledon winning Queens. Why did I not think I could win Wimbledon? Um, so yes, absolutely. Uh, again, I don't know what round I lost that year, but um, I started to believe at that time and that stage that I could win anything. You got back to the final here at Queens the following year against uh, Michael Stich who was a Wimbledon champion. So do you, do you recall that as well? Yeah, I do actually. And that's the thing is that was always difficult is to win and come back the next year. Um, I've always had good memories here and played well and enjoyed the grass. And I remember coming to the final and he's tough too because he's also at that stage was one of the best grass court players around. Um, and he was just too good for me. And I was disappointed because it would have been nice to go back to back at a, at a place like Queens. But you know, making the final, I think, was still a pretty good effort. That championship at Queen's in 1992 was the only grass court title of your career, I think, on the ATP Tour. Yeah, but I mean, I only played Queen's and Wimbledon. It's not like it is today where you can have, you know, the, the week before in Stuttgart, you can have the Queen's, you can have the Eastbourne. Um, I did actually play Nottingham, uh, where it used to be a 250 back in the day, and I, did lo I lost in the finals one year to Pat Rafter. Um, so I came very close to winning a second one, um, but yeah, I mean we didn't. You know, we had only three, two to three t tournaments a year, so the, the odds were not really that high. <laughs> what did the place look like compared to compared to to, to now? I mean, the, we're in this great, enormous players' lounge now. I don't know if the facilities were quite the same back in the day. 
You know, what's nice about coming here is it's one of the last sort of true clubs uh, and it's kept it exactly the same. And there's a lot that's grown in the sense of the, the size of the tennis court, but you still have the clubhouse on the side there. You still walk in inside and see these old pictures of the old real tennis and, and all of these pictures from the early centuries. And, and it's an amazing feeling to come in. Now, where we are in the players' lounge, that used to be just the indoor practice courts. Um, our lounge was outside in the clubhouse and it was much smaller. I mean, there's a lot more people now today. So it's different in that sense, but it's the same. And that's what's so nice is 30 years later, it's the same club, same venue, same pictures on the walls and everything, and, and the same history. Uh, it's just, it's incredible to be here. It's, a, it's an amazing tournament.